A collaborative agreement between Logan Health, Glacier County, and the Blackfoot Tribe is keeping some emergency services operating along the High Line. The agreement is a rarity and has stirred up renewed interest in the creation of healthcare consortiums to help keep emergency services and critical care facilities operating in rural Montana. In this edition of the podcast, Logan Health Regional EMS Executive Director Ryan Pitts, Montana Hospital Association President and CEO Rich Rasmussen, and State Representative Geraldine Custer all joined the show to discuss why these types of collaborative efforts might just be the future of rural health care. It's a great example of collaboration succeeding, and better yet, serving a critical need in some of Montana's communities that desperately need it. Let's welcome Ryan Pitts, Executive Director for Logan Health Regional EMS. Good morning, Ryan. How's it going? Good morning, Tom. It's going very good. It's a beautiful sunny day up here in Kalispell. Oh, man. Love it. Love it up there. Spend some time there. Um, and I'm, I'm, uh, there's, never, there's never a day that I'm not thinking about how am I going to get to Kalispell. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a lot of us feel that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, why don't we start with this collaboration and, and what, um, what brought about, what, uh, you know, what was the need that you guys were meeting here? Yeah, and, and that's a great place to start. In Glacier County, about a year and a half ago, they found themselves in a crossroads. And to kind of set the stage for that, if you look at what rural emergency medical services look like, oftentimes it could be volunteer services, a mix of paid and volunteer, um, a single entity. So Glacier County was operating its own ambulance service. And with the challenges in, in emergency medical services, challenges in labor, challenges in how we get paid for emergency medical services, mm-hmm. You know, you have a big geography and maybe a small call volume. All of your payment for emergency medical services comes on you actually transporting a patient to a hospital. All those factors combine to, to put us really at, at, a, at a fragile state for emergency medical services. And in Glacier County, that's what they found. Is it was They're having a very difficult time in, in having the viability of that operation continue, and they, they need, basically needed to collaborate with more partners. Um, Logan Health, actually, it was the time it was Northern Rockies Medical Center. It was previous to our merger with them at Logan Health. But they, they talked to us. We talked to them. To, to what is a possibility? And Sherry Taylor, the CEO there, actual incredible champion, their board at the hospital, and that community rallied together and said, this is an essential service that we need. We need to be able to provide this service, so what can we do? The county has had ambulances and buildings and things that they could contribute to uh, to what we needed to, to, to establish. The hospital agreed to take over operations of the ambulance service to do the billing and provide the calls and hire the EMS. Um, and then the community rallied around. They, they had some good fundraising and community support for this. Um, interactions with the tribe were positive on how they can work together with Blackfeet Tribal EMS as well as um, Glacier County. So there what you saw was this collaborative effort of everyone who has a, a vested interest in emergency medicine. You know, if you were the, uh, the, the person at home who's having a heart attack, obviously you're invested in having someone who's well-trained come and get you and take you from your home into a hospital to be treated at that hospital and then maybe to be moved on to a higher level of care if you need to, to go to like a cardiac catheter lab or, or, or something of that sort. The hospitals, you know, they know that good emergency medical services will help get their patients there in a timely manner and will help improve the outcomes for those patients, as well as if they need to move their patients on to another level of care, ability to do that quickly and, and seamlessly is important. And then obviously the, the community as a whole just wants to, to see the, the good outcomes for that. So there you kind of saw a perfect uh, storm of the community getting together and everyone giving what resources they have to this puzzle and working together, and we have this relationship. You kind of – Logan Health – go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, uh, Ryan Pitts with us, Executive Director for Logan Health Regional EMS. 
Um, you kind of talked about it a, a little bit, but maybe expound up, up upon it. Was this because of the pandemic? Was it because of um, labor shortages or uh, just a shortage of rural services? Did you see this sort of coming down the road or was it the genesis of um, some of the problems here kind of temporary? You know, the genesis of the problems are definitely not temporary. And I think that we've seen this coming for actually quite a few years. And those of us that have a vested interest in emergency medical services, especially in this rural environment, have seen, you know, increased pressure from payers and reimbursement, the money that we get for calls. A lot of these areas rely heavily or have relied heavily on volunteers to, to be part of the workforce and part of that labor pool. Um, and there's a somewhat of a waxing or waning um, degree of volunteerism. A lot of the providers that have been taking care of their communities for years are, are getting a little bit older in age and their ability to respond. You know, employers for volunteers, it's, it's more difficult to have a, a volunteer leave and go on a medical call that might last a few hours in the middle of the day. And then, and then the complexities of emergency medicine itself, the training, the education, the upkeep, the expenses, an ambulance fully stocked, ready to go right now is about a quarter of a million dollars. Mm-hmm. So all of these costs together and all of these factors together, we've been kind of seeing this, uh, this eventual slide to where we truly are, you know, in a rural healthcare crisis for EMS in a lot of different areas. So I, I think that the pandemic in some ways, um, it was difficult because there's a lot of complexity involved. There was also a lot of money involved um, from the federal government and a few other places. So that, that was like a, a, a double-edged sword there. But but honestly, this this uh, issue has been coming for a long time and is and is not going to get better anytime soon. I think without a concerted effort from all involved on working on it. And uh, and I think um, you know, I want to talk. We will talk later on um, in more detail about. I think this is spurring some interest in in consortiums into healthcare consortiums. Um, what was the process? How how difficult was it to to bring differing units together? And and why um, what why these differing units? I mean, why why do we have um, ambulance services partially funded by the county and relying on volunteerism? Um, uh, you know, it, obviously, there's many third parties that can come together for these uh, better outcomes. Absolutely. And if you think about, um, you know, it can be a very expensive service to staff 24-7. Anytime that you're staffing something, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's, if you staff that with fully paid people, there's a fairly high labor cost there. Um, when you look at a rural area, take any, any county in Montana, essentially, there's areas where you have a long travel distance, you're kind of far away from anything, have a, maybe a population center that's not very large, and you don't necessarily have a lot of EMS call volume. And again, the revenue for an EMS service is about the calls they transport. There's no real funding mechanism that just supports them around the, around the clock. Mm-hmm. So you have a low call volume, long transport distances. That's a very difficult model to sustain financially when you might have, you know, a few calls a, a week to, to, to get that reimbursement to help cover that. Yet the, the people in that community need protection from EMS services. They need that coverage that response 24-7. So here you kind of see why in a lot of places it's always been left to a, a volunteer or a volunteer slash paid on call model simply because the labor costs for the call volume in that individual unit just don't don't pencil out. Was it difficult um, in terms of getting an agreement? And then this obviously I think sets the stage for something further. So what did we learn? 
Well, so what we learned is that it, it really wasn't difficult, I think, because of the, the crisis in the moment. Everyone recognized we have to do something and you know, we all have to contribute. And what the county could contribute was, you know, those capital funds, the ambulances that, that they were able to acquire. They had, they had built an ambulance building. Um, so they were able to, to contribute kind of those heavy costs uh, to, the, to the equation. The hospital has some expertise in recruiting and marketing, has a, a mechanism to be able to support from an HR standpoint. So the operationalizing of the crews, that's what the hospital brought forward. And then the gap was filled by the community and some fundraising saying, hey, we really want to support this. This is important to us. Part of so, this. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So that's kind of the model moving forward for Logan Health to say, okay, here's, here's what we need to do in any county. And, and, and you know, we merged with the Conrad Hospital um, there, and, and we do the 911. We work with the county commissioners there um, very well for how we do EMS coverage there. And really anywhere that we're, we respond and, and, and we, have, we, we consider any patient who could potentially come to Logan Health or just in our area our patient and needs our help. So we're invested in trying to make these partnerships work anywhere that we are and, and how do we collaborate with the local government, the local community, and local hospitals, and put it together and say, okay, what is the what is the package we can put together to help support these EMS services? And 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 for that, um, it's not just ambulance services. Uh, how critical is that need? Uh, I know that um, there's all, when you guys came in there, um, according to some uh, reporting uh, up in the area, uh, you, 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 there was some maintenance that was needed. There was just some supplies that were needed. Uh, we're going to get into funding for these types of things as well, um, but. Uh, um, there's a, a portion here about the um, uh, service in Bab, and mm-hmm. and and Bab is is pretty dang remote. I mean, that whole area is pretty remote. What what constitutes um, crisis when it comes to not having uh, these kinds of medical services available over like whatever it is? Is it 50 miles? Is it a is a 100 miles to the nearest hospital? Well, I mean, you have to ask yourself, you know, how comfortable would you be if you got into an, a, yeah. a bad accident or had a heart attack or some other medical emergency and you were 50 miles away from a hospital and your closest ambulance was 40 or 50 miles away as well? Yeah. Right? So, I mean, having a ability to have a dispersed model is really important. And I think with the BAB, you know, from a financial standpoint, you're not going to make money in BAB, Montana with an ambulance service. It's just not – you're not even going to hold your own. But as part of a bigger system, in Cut Bank, where there's a higher call volume and they do more interfacility transports, we can support um, the ability to have crews out in those far-flung areas by making sure that we take that overhead burden. It's not just on BAB volunteer ambulance service and just on Cut Bank ambulance and just on these small ambulance services. We take the overhead of all that maintenance and and supplies and issues and purchasing and, and HR and all that, and we basically systemize the overhead and then allow us to, to, to support some of those smaller areas that wouldn't be feasible otherwise. How long, um, uh, I guess I don't have time for this before the break, but um, maybe, maybe rather quickly, um, what's the assessment of it early on? Is, is, is it working? Does it need to be tweaked, this agreement? Oh, it's working incredibly. I mean, the, the growth that they've had in the EMS service there, their ability to provide services, the interactions with the community, um, it's been a tremendous success. Um, so sounds like we're on, on trade, but the first assessment is it's been an incredible success. Way to pick that up, Ryan. Uh, yeah, well, uh, on to that break. Rich Matt Rasmussen will join us next. We'll continue our discussion here about collaborative efforts to improve rural health care outcomes today on Voices.
Today's been good. I'm getting there. People with mental health disorders who smoke can die 8 to 25 years earlier than the general population. No more sitting on the fence. It's time to quit smoking. Smoking can interfere with recovery and make psychiatric medicines less effective. The Quit Line can help for a happier and healthier tomorrow. Call the Montana Tobacco Quit Line today at 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Brought to you by the Montana Department of Public Health and Human Services. We're talking uh, with Ryan Pitts. He's executive director of Logan Health, the regional um, uh, regional EMS. That's Emergency Medical Services. Rich Rasmussen will join us shortly. And then a policy perspective from Representative Geraldine Custer here. Tom Schultz alongside. Uh, it's from Montana for Montana. Voices of Montana with Brian Bennett and the Northern News Network uh, upcoming shortly. Independent Gary Buchanan has uh, looked to qualify, and I think he has, for the uh, November ballot for a congressional race. So, uh, Brian will have an update on that. When you're visiting Montana State Parks, remember, recreate responsibly to know how you can do your part part while visiting one of Montana's 55 state parks this summer. Uh, just a ton of great information there. It'll get you excited. FWP.mt.gov and then just search slash state parks and we will see you out there. Ryan Pitts, again, uh, executive director for Logan Health Regional EMS, Emergency Medical Services and uh, then we have Rich Rasmussen now. Let's uh, let's welcome Rich. Rich, good morning. How are you doing, sir? Good morning, Tom. I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting us to to join you this morning. Thank you for being here. Appreciate that. Rich is the president and CEO of the Montana Hospital Association, and uh, uh, I know you've been listening. I want to go back to uh, to Ryan and make sure we uh, we haven't like overlooked anything. We're talking about this this agreement and what it can lead to. Uh, uh, consortiums um, are are something that um, are, I think, a little more formal. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But, Ryan, am I, for, am I missing anything when it comes to uh, the need and how our communities are, are dealing with uh, what many have said, and I've heard you say, uh, some uh, emergency or crisis um, conditions in rural health care? No, I mean, I think we set the stage really well to understand what the current state is out there and, and how partnerships can work together. And I think it's great that we have Rich here this morning as we – progress the discussion on what are some of the other options. I mean, funding is a key part of emergency medical services, paying for these ambulances, paying for the people and their time. And, and, and with one funding stream, essentially, that's responding to the 911 calls and getting paid for that, it's not enough. And there's, there's capacity and the ability for these people to do this, some things called community paramedicine, it's partnership with hospitals and other healthcare systems. And that's a way to, to kind of shore up and stabilize and I think Rich is a great person to to have on with us to to help talk through that. How, um, yeah, Rich, uh, your comments. You heard uh, Ryan earlier. Your comments about this consortium, and then as uh, as Ryan had noted, uh, the community paramedicine. How how that plays out in Montana, where that's going. Well, I mean, certainly in the the first part of the consortia. I mean, what you have is uh, Logan Health. Uh, bringing in resources to these small communities that otherwise would not have um, access to EMS services. And so what they've been able to do and what they've been able to shore up in that part of or that region uh, of our state, we should all be grateful um, for that. Because um, without it, I mean, certainly Ryan told the story, what would it look like in, in Glacier County if they did not have the ability to transport patients? And, and so I think we're going to see more and more interest 
to um, for our larger community hospitals to strengthen their partnerships uh, with their critical access hospital um, neighbors. And we saw that all through the pandemic. Uh, but on the areas of EMS, there's just a couple things that we have to look at uh, at addressing both on the federal level and I think on the state level that can really optimize our service delivery. And that's a part of conversation we can have um, uh, later in the in the show. But I think the, the second part of your question about community paramedicine, absolutely. How can we improve uh, health and health care in our state by using uh, highly trained uh, emergency care providers to be able to go into the community and be able to do assessments on patients, uh, be able to help monitor perhaps some chronic conditions that they struggle with. Maybe it's uh, COPD or maybe it's diabetes. Uh, those um, types of conditions that we know drive most of the cost in healthcare. And so being able to use uh, these folks to help manage that care, we believe it'll improve quality, but it will also help to reduce cost. And I think um, if we didn't have the Logan Healths coming in or other uh, hospitals coming in to support these rural communities, the only option would be uh, to transport patients by air, and that costs the most. So again, we get higher quality and we get lower costs, which is really the definition of value in healthcare. And, uh, and that's what Logan Health is doing, and I think there's more opportunity for us to expand these types of collaborations. Where? Ryan, where's more opportunity to expand these kinds of and, – and, and, and would an official like consortium um, be, be helpful so that instead of just like three partners, Logan Health and the county and, and the tribes, um, you have more partners involved? Uh, I do. I think it's, you know, what Rich said is really important to say, this lowering the cost. If you take someone who maybe has their, their health condition deteriorates where they have to have an emergency room visit and maybe a flight to an ICU to get stabilized before they can go back home, the cost and risk of all of that would be way offset by community paramedics being able to go and visit that person a few times a week, make sure they're keeping up on their medications and, and whatnot to, to basically keep them out of the hospital and avoid that whole costly event. And from a consortium idea, you know, how do you set up a community paramedicine program? How do you stabilize EMS and training? And the idea behind the consortium and, and the funding that, that we got from the DeBartolo family in moving this forward is to say, we want all of Montana to be involved in this. We want every community and EMS that wants to, to move forward. How do we reduce their overhead burden? How do we help them with training and education? How do we provide support to them so they can focus on the day-to-day needs of their community and not some of these other things? If you were thinking about starting a community paramedicine program somewhere in Montana, what is your support and resources? Who's going to help you out? How's gonna, who's going to help answer questions? We think that the value of the consortium is bringing all EMS professionals in Montana together to work together on these and supporting each other to, to be able to, to work through that. Because it is somewhat a daunting task to, to start one of these new programs. And, and there was help from, uh, from a donation from, uh, as you mentioned, the uh, DeBartolo family. We'll talk about that. i got to take a break. And, and, and funding a very important part of keeping rural health care services alive. And it's not just labor and services. We're also uh, looking at um, just like uh, equipment. Uh, I know that's, that's a big need there, too. So we'll come on back and talk about how funding can play a part in those better uh, outcomes here in just a bit. The strength of Montana's electric cooperatives is its member owners. When the time comes to let lawmakers know how a proposed bill could impact electric co-ops, they need to be able to call on you. Please consider joining the grassroots team at VoicesForCooperativePower.com. 
to ensure the electric cooperative voice is a loud one when it needs to be heard. That's VoicesForCooperativePower.com. A message from your Montana electric cooperatives. They do more than keep the lights on for you. Representative Jerry Custer will join us shortly as we'll talk the policy that might be involved in collaborative efforts for, you know, rural health care outcomes. With us now, Ryan Pitts from Logan Health, Regional uh, EMS, Emergency Medical Services Director there, and Rich Rasmussen, President and CEO of the Montana Hospital Association. We're going to have about three and a half minutes here, Ryan. I know that um, uh, we'll welcome Jerry on, and Jerry and Rich will uh, continue the conversation shortly. Uh, uh, so that this consortium, uh, one thing, too, I think you should talk about is that with this Amtrak derailment uh, up on the high line in 2021, uh, I, I think a lot of things maybe were brought to the forefront in that. Absolutely. When we when we saw kind of the, the Amtrak element and those communities working together, trying to pro- provide resources to that really horrific and potentially even worse event, but but in our smaller communities, how do we how can we help them train and 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 communicate with each other, you know, with better tools to communicate? You know, how can we improve that patient flow through there? The lessons that we learned with with stabilizing things in Glacier County was really spurred us to say we need to to kind of go go big with with the idea of an of mm-hmm. a consortium, and and the the intent for this for the money that that we were given for this donation is to really to provide education and and help and support to all EMS personnel in Montana, and we really want this to affect the the individual care providers, that it really is meaningful to them. It's helping them with their education. It's taking the overhead burden off. If they're if they're trying to start doing community paramedicine, we can have, you know, things that can help support them through that process. But really, the key is how do we, throughout the, all communities in Montana, for emergency medical services, band together and and work together to support each other in in addressing this EMS crisis. Yeah, um, and Rich Rasmussen, how do they do that on an ongoing basis? I mean, this uh, and you should talk about the donation uh, from the uh, DeBartolo family, generous in that regard for initial funding. Uh, but but uh, how how do you keep momentum going forward and and funding is a part of that? Yeah, it's a great question, Tom, because the challenge is that most of our agencies, and it's important to note that forty five point nine percent, excuse me, forty six percent of of our EMS agencies are volunteer agencies, yeah. and they rely on donations. So what the DeBartolo family has done has been has been a significant shot in the arm in terms of how we can begin to um, make sure more resources in the training area and in the organizational areas are available. But we still rely on donations for apparatus, for uh, other ongoing training. And with volunteer agencies, that's the real challenge. They don't have somebody that, that is a traditional grant writer that can write these grants. So that's a challenge that they have. And, and, the, and, and even in those communities where we have volunteer agencies, you know, we still have a struggle for them to respond to an event. So, so we have, we're in a kind of this crossroads here. You know, do we start this conversation on how we can have more paid um, EMS providers or a mixture which includes paid and volunteer providers? That's issue one. Um, and then I think issue two uh, is if we move in this direction, how can we strengthen existing agencies or allow others to come in that might have deeper resources to do that? And critical access hospitals are one of those options, but by federal law, they are prohibited from receiving cost-based reimbursement to provide ambulance services if there's another agency within 35 miles. And so if Congress can make that one slight change, it would allow hospitals 
uh, to be able to step in and offer these services and offer paid opportunities and paid and volunteer opportunities in those Rich, communities. Rich Rasmussen, and you would stand have sustainability by. a long time. Ryan Pitts, sure. Ryan Pitts, thank you so much, sir. We'll be talking to you down the road. Montana continues right after this. What's the best way to responsibly enjoy and protect Montana State Parks while creating lasting memories? Be a good neighbor. Be respectful. Respect other park visitors and wildlife. Give plenty space and avoid making too much noise. Creating a memorable and safe experience for all starts with respect for those around you, even for those that may walk on all fours. Visit fwp.mt.gov forward slash state parks to familiarize yourself on the importance of recreating responsibly. Back with Rich Rasmussen, president and CEO of the Montana Hospital Association, um, and also serves as president of the Montana Health Research Education Foundation. And appreciate you being here, Rich. Going to welcome Jerry Custer here in just a, a bit. But I want to give you um, a chance for some uh, you know, uh, thoughts on uh, what they had accomplished at, at Logan Health and, and maybe where that can lead to from your perspective with the Montana Hospital Association. Well, Tom, you know, I, I think what they've done in Logan is really a model that others could uh, use to um, further strengthen collaboration within um, their region. Uh, so we have in eastern Montana, for example, uh, the Billings Clinic uh, will be launching its level one trauma center. It'll be the first one in the, in the state, uh, and they will be able to handle the most complex trauma-related injuries. But one of the challenges that we have in ensuring that people can get to the hospital within that golden hour that's so important they get there within that hour in order to have the best outcome, we need transportation. So it'll either be aircraft uh, if we don't have a very robust transportation opportunity uh, on the ground. And I think that's part of what this conversation is about. How can we build and sustain uh, you know, ground transportation, which is the cheapest way to transport patients. Uh, and again, as we talked at the top of the hour, you know, if we can have high good outcomes and lower cost, that's the value in healthcare. And EMS is a part of of that equation. Um, I, I love the focus on affordability because that's one of the things that that keeps people away from good healthcare, right? Well, affordability is always a challenge, uh, and and I think part of uh, in, in this, this whole EMS conversation is folks getting uh, help earlier in the episode of their illness or their injury. And so in, when we talk about EMS, whether we're using community paramedicine to help manage illnesses that folks have in their homes, that reduces cost, or getting a patient to that hospital quicker helps to improve their outcome and their ability to survive that injury, whether it's a fall or an automobile injury or a poisoning or whatever it happens to be, Time is of the essence, and uh, EMS services is central to that. And, and so folks get that care quicker and earlier, they have better outcomes, it costs less. And I think that's an important uh, point for all of us. That's why communities you know, really need to evaluate how they can make these investments. And they've done that uh, in uh, Logan's area, uh, and they've recognized that importance. I think there's opportunities for other communities to recognize it. And our critical access hospitals, our rural communities, can really be the hub for this. And, uh, and that's part of our promise to Montana is ensuring that we can be uh, the catalyst for improving value in health care in our communities. And we welcome those conversations on how we can play a bigger role. And uh, let's welcome Geraldine Custer, Representative Jerry Custer, uh, uh, 
fourth-generation Montanan, grew up on a ranch near uh, Ingemar. If you need transportation, um, she she's not afraid. You, can you uh, you can drive a beat truck, Jerry? Um, but can you drive an ambulance? <laughs> I probably could drive an ambulance, but I don't know if they'd want to ride with me because I'm a speeder. So I don't know if some of the people would feel that comfortable because I drive pretty fast because I have a lot of miles to cover all the That's time. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to get those beats uh, out of the ground and back on the ground somewhere. Um, right. Uh, again, we don't uh, drive our beat trucks fast because they don't they don't go that fast. No, they don't. I, normally, I care in my travels around the state because you live in eastern Montana. It's always a, more than 100 miles everywhere you go. So. That's a problem. That's yeah. Rich was mentioning that about the um, ambulance and the uh, Billings Clinic with their trauma center. That's one of the concerns is, you know, like Forsyth is 100 miles from Billings, and that's where I live. And so to get there in that hour in the ambulance, that would be pretty quickly. So that's why the air and the, you know, will probably come into play a lot in these in these in these more remote areas. Representative Geraldine Custer, uh, again, it's House District 39. Uh, that is... Uh, north and south of the Interstate 94 between Huntley Project and, and Miles City, lots of area in Montana, um, and recently chaired the local government committee uh, in the House. What what are your what are you hearing from EMS providers um, in as as you are out and and working as a representative and even campaigning? Um, what are they telling you about health care? Well, in our area, we're fairly lucky in my right where I live here in Rosebud County because. Fortunately, we've always had a, a decent tax base, and so our equipment, um, like Ryan was mentioning, up on ambulances, like a quarter million dollars. Our equipment's been kind of maintained and kept up to date, and rotated around, like get a new ambulance and put the other one in is a second ambulance out, that kind of thing. So, according to our ambulance director, Rosebud County is in pretty good shape, but our neighboring county, like Treasure County, is is having trouble getting, like they say, volunteers, and they're. And some of the counties, they're not even paid. Um, ours are paid a stipend. It's nothing spectacular, but it's a little bit to make it worthwhile to be on call. And that's another thing is oh, these people have other jobs. They're not full-time. Uh, the ambulance director is full-time, but the rest of the people are volunteers. And so getting your employer to let you off when your buzzer, when your beeper goes off, to go on a what could be maybe four hours, depending on where you're taking the, the person, and you never know when you're going out on a call if they're going to go to local hospital or if you have to transport them to Billings. So that's an issue for the employer that has volunteers that lets them them take calls. So that that's that's another thing that for these smaller areas, you know, everybody has a job. So that's it too. And I think I think Rich hit, hit on some of the things in these smaller areas that the ambulance um, personnel, the EMTs, paramedics. They don't, they're not only just running the ambulance. When they come into our local hospitals in the middle of the night, our critical access um, hospitals, um, that nurse that's on duty is calling the doc on, that's on, on call. They're calling the lab tech. They're calling the, um, the x-ray tech when, when an a- accident comes and these people are coming in. So those EMTs are helping out in the emergency room in these critical access hospitals more than they are like in Billings, when you get there, it, there are so many people that they're, they're, they're emergency room staff that you don't you can just drop your patients off and you know and they transfer them to their their bed and then and then you're out of there and you're on another call. But in these smaller hospitals, they're doing more. They're helping the nurse out and doing things that she's having them help her with until her crew gets there. The the lab tech, the X-ray tech, and and the doc that's on call or the PA or whoever's you know head of the nurse 
on on the call. So they're doing more than they're doing more than just running on the ambulance and and, and life saving measures. Well, and that begs the question of Rich, uh, uh, because that's right in line with I think where consort consortiums can can help uh, in terms of training, but also providing you know warm bodies who have been trained um, in in these critical times. Yes, yes, and, yes. And, and I think you're absolutely right that there are opportunities for that. And, and Jerry speaks, too, from you know a wealth of knowledge having been a hospital trustee in her local hospital in Forsyth. So we appreciate her insights, and she's right. I mean, these you know, EMS or emergency care providers can provide an extra set of hands in that um, uh, emergency case that's brought to one of our critical access hospitals. But bringing together uh, hospitals in a more regionalized approach, we're starting to see that across the state. Uh, and I think with the um, uh, with Billings Clinic and their Level 1 Trauma Center, part of what they will be doing is providing education uh, as a requirement for that certification uh, and, and research and other services that will be shared with providers within that region. But again, you know, to the point that I think we've kind of talked around, and that is the real challenge of uh, – of working with volunteers that have other jobs. And and so uh, being able to either create a stipend for them is what Representative Custer spoke to, uh, or we look at other ways in which we can uh, help provide additional infusion of dollars into the EMS systems across our state. And and that's, I think, a, a policy question that for all of us. And I started at the before the break talking about one way a federal change could really incentivize hospitals being able to provide that service and have 24-hour paid reliable ambulance services, but takes a, ch- uh, a change in the law in Congress. On the state level, it's a little bit more challenging uh, because so many of our small communities don't have the tax base uh, to be able to support local EMS. Uh, and I think that's where we have to kind of, you know, kind of bring some heads together and look for other ways that uh, we can do that, incentivize it. And maybe one way is to help these very small agencies with their grant writing, which is oftentimes how they replace um, their aging equipment. Jerry, go ahead from from your perspective, as Rich had noted, to a former hospital uh, trustee in that area, um, commenting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yes, I had. A, I did at least two um, two terms on the hospital board, and a, of course, hospital funding is totally different than any other kind of funding in the yep. way they they do their accounting and all that. That and to get get paid, I think he alluded to something that maybe we might need a federal change to to allow them because I think you can't have an ambulance service if you're within 35 miles of another one, sort of like that's how you you can't be a critical access hospital if there's another one within 35 miles. That maybe needs to be changed. And maybe I'm thinking too, maybe possibly the the rate that they're paid if it's a rural um, ambulance run, because right now, even with the cost of fuel, and to think that if if you're just dropping somebody off in town to the local hospital, you can turn around quicker than you can if you've got to take them a hundred miles, wait for them to be admitted and then, and then drive back home empty, empty handed. And then, then you have to have another ambulance in your area, just like a fire truck. You have to have another ambulance that's that's able to go out while you're gone that two hours or whatever it takes you to transport to Billings. You have to have somebody else with a whole set of volunteers ready to go in case there's another accident while you're gone. So that, that poses another problem. You don't just have one ambulance for these little rural areas. You have to have, you know, enough yeah. that you've got coverage all the time. Yeah. Um, so maybe and, they and need Tom, to pay, say, pay more for rural, for rural transport 
you know, to make, because you don't get a lot of, you wouldn't get a lot of calls to, to keep your, you know, to even do maintenance on your ambulance. Even if you wrote a grant to get your ambulance, you still got to maintain it and you still got to supply it. And, and getting supplies are expensive, just like anything else. And, and just getting help, just help. We're an aging, we're an aging, Montana's an aging community. So like yeah. a, lot, a lot of our volunteers are aging out. And so that's a thing. And then trying to get new volunteers. They don't realize that just to keep these little communities going, lots of times it takes volunteers. Rich, I'm going to have you stand mm-hmm. by, or, or, unless you got a real. Uh, I got to take a break, but but um, go ahead rather quickly. I was just going to say that the Representative Custer raises a good point. So we know, based on the state's um, report on EMS, that rural volunteer agencies transport the patients greater than 60 miles in terms of its how urban communities to do it. And it takes three to six hours to do that. And when you transport, guess what? You only get paid when you transport. So when you come back, the ambulance is empty and you don't get paid. That creates an additional um, stress uh, financially on those um, volunteer agencies. All right, stand by. Rich Rasmussen is with us here. He's president and CEO of the Montana Hospital Association, and uh, they advocate uh, for 87 healthcare organizations around the state. And then Jerry Custer, Representative Jerry Custer, representing House District 39, as uh, she had mentioned, to uh, involved um, at a, at the local level as a former hospital trustee, but also chaired the local government uh, committee. Um, in in this last session we're back with more here from montana for montana it's voices of montana building more sustainable supply chains means making the right transportation choices and moving goods by rail with bnsf delivers the most for our environment one ton of freight can move nearly 500 miles on one gallon of diesel fuel reducing emissions by up to 75 percent shipping long-haul freight on bnsf improves sustainability for businesses and our communities. That's why orange is the new green. Spoke earlier with Ryan Pitts from Logan Health, Rich Rasmussen with the Montana Hospital Association, also alongside Geraldine Custer, Representative Jerry Custer, uh, for that policy perspective. And we're just going to run out of time. We always do. Jerry, um, uh, some thoughts, uh, just some final thoughts here. I I, I know that there's a lot of things um, left out uh, but one thing that strikes me is is uh, this consortium would be a really a golden opportunity for training. It would it would, and then I was also thinking possibly that like the Build Montana program, where we could start maybe and get a program for high school um, kids that were interested to become EMTs because once they're eighteen, they can become an EMT. If we would train, do the training during high school for them, then they would be able to work during their college years as an EMT and see if, you know, especially if they were interested in the medical program at all, possibly do that. And then we'd have some trained up uh, people that way, because when you think about it, the training is pretty intense and the volunteers have to do the training on their own as well as when they're on their runs. So that, that it's a huge commitment when you're an EMT. Rich, can you, can you wrap things up for us in 15 seconds? Absolutely, Tom. Jerry is spot on for us looking for other ways to grow our volunteer base and potentially our employed base. So we look forward to working with Representative Custer and the legislature and you, Tom, on advancing further conversations on improving health and health care. And EMS is certainly central to that. We appreciate the time this morning. Thank you. Always top of mind for us here. Very vital for us. Uh, Rich Rasmussen with the Hospital Association, Montana Hospital Association, and Jerry Custer. Jerry, thank you so much. Thank you.